Well, Merry Christmas, New Life Church. Yeah, it, Christmas Sunday is upon us. Can you believe it? Yeah. Listen, I want to tell you, uh, if you have not already done so, we have a little gift for you. We've been making sure, trying to get these out to you over the last couple of weeks. It's called The Light of Christmas. It's our theme for our series that, we're, that we've been doing this Christmas season. Uh, inside is also a little personalized uh, Christmas card to your family uh, from the church. And so they're at our guest table. Uh, as you leave today, if you didn't get one or you would like another one or you want to give it to someone, by all means, take it. Uh, we'd love to get get uh, get those last few out to you if you would like to have one. So please avail yourself to that. Well, listen, let's, uh, let's get into the message today. Let's get into our special Christmas message today. Matthew chapter 2 is where I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. And we'll also have it on the screen as well when we, when we read that here in a moment. We have um, been doing a series called The Light of Christmas and we're going to wrap that up today. And um, I asked uh, Jake, this was an impromptu thing, so those of you on the praise and worship team, uh, all of you are going to come back at the end uh, before we do communion. Uh, so follow his cue on that. It's kind of changing the plans as we go this morning. But um, you guys are going to be doing that, that song, Silent Night, again uh, as we do communion. So um, just want to make sure you, you, uh, you hear what's going on with that and be a part of that. Uh, as I said, doing a series wrapping up today called The Light of Christmas. And what we're doing, we've kind of looked at different, uh, a couple of different people who had um, an encounter with the Christ child at his birth and uh, leading up to his birth and then after his birth and, and the significance of that and how, how really he, at that moment in time, he brought a significant change. Uh, to their lives and how he shed some light in their dark world at the time and how their experience can be an encouragement to us, an eye-opener to us, if you will, and to help us understand how we need his light in our life today. Amen? So we looked at Mary. We looked at her experience. Hers was one about opening up her heart. Last week we looked at Joseph. We looked at his experience. It was one about making room in his life for Christ. And today we're going to look at the wise men, the three wise guys, the wise men, and look at their experience here in Matthew chapter 2. Let's read their story this morning. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Can you say his star? King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them 
the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chest, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Let's take a minute and pray over this today. Gracious and good God, we come before you today humbly and acknowledging that you are here. For where two or three are gathered together in your name, you are in their midst. So thank you, first of all, for being here in a very special way with us in our gathering this morning. And we take time today to celebrate and to put above all things your Son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who came to be the light of the world, and for over 2,000 years, His light is still shining bright. Sometimes we get doubtful. Sometimes we get discouraged. And sometimes we get overwhelmed. And sometimes we just get confused about life. But nonetheless, your star is shining to lead us and guide us. And this morning we pray that you will illuminate our hearts. You will radiate within our souls. And that every single one of our lives will be impacted by your spirit that's here today. May your word encourage us, teach us, and help us this day to know you more and to follow you more closely. In Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. Well, in this series today, to close out the light of Christmas, I titled this message today, Follow His Star. Follow His Star. You know, as part of God's plan, His big plan to save the world and to bring light into the hearts of humanity, it included people like, like Mary and Joseph, but it also included these guys from the eastern lands, the Magi, the wise men, as they're called. And really, their story is one about not only seeing the star, but then having the guts, the courage, the faith to actually follow his star. Because it was his star that led them ultimately to Christ. And really, the same is about true about our life as it was for them. It's not only seeing and knowing about Jesus and hearing about Jesus, but it's having the faith, the courage to actually follow and go after him and find him, just as we see in this story with the wise men. You know, look at this statement here on the screen. It says, we must be willing to follow his star if we want to receive and radiate the light of Jesus Christ. Because it was his star that really paved the way for many people to notice him. God works 
in this way, and he worked, he worked in the way for these wise men because he knew what they were about, but he knew how to also get their attention, just like God knows how to get our attention. He causes certain things to align and come together and be in place and to capture our, uh, our, our focus, our, our view, and the ultimate goal is to lead us to his son, Jesus Christ. You know, and at the time of Christ's birth, the world was a very dark place. A very dark place, and even now, over 2,000, nearly 2,000 years later, the world is, a, I will say, probably an even darker place. But that tells us this, that tells us our world needs the light of Christ. We need the light of Jesus. Wouldn't you say amen to that? That we need his light to be visible and bright and to be experienced and to be felt in every single one, not only of our lives, but man, our world needs the light of Jesus. Amen? And so just a little background here about, about these, these characters and these uh, things here in this story. First, you have Jesus, the star of the show. He's at this time, by this time, this story that Matthew talks about, this story with the wise men, Jesus is about two years old, okay? Then you have King Herod. King Herod was a mean guy. He was ruthless. He was cruel. He was a very dark leader. Uh, he, he imposed darkness upon the people. He was named king of the Jews from the Roman authorities. And, and when he heard this, this message from the wise men asking this question, where is this newborn king of the Jews, he started to get upset. Matthew described it, he became troubled. He became troubled because Jesus, the newborn king, the true king of the Jews, was born. And he posed a threat to Herod's throne. He also posed a threat to the political system and the religious system at the time. And you know, when you kind of think about it, that's been kind of going on ever since then. People in power get threatened by the, main, by the name of Jesus because they fear. They fear that, man, their throne is going to be taken away from them. Their power is going to be stripped to them. Their prestige and their possessions and everything that comes with that, the clout and everything else is going to be stripped away. And you know what? They're absolutely right. Because no matter how much power or prestige or possessions you and I might have, it's all, none of it will carry with us into eternity with Jesus. It's all going to get left. It's all going to be remaining behind. And the thing is that he's been, he's, in, he's been posing a threat kind of, he didn't do that intentionally when he was born. He had no idea. He was a baby. But just the significance of his birth brought such great attention to who he really was. And you've got to remember here in this story, for over 400 years, God's people have been waiting in silent darkness to hear from God. There were no prophets speaking in about a 400-year span. And so as far as they could tell, God was silent. God was silent, and they had been waiting to hear from him. They've been waiting all these generations for the Messiah to be born, and here he comes in the form of a baby. And all of it was foretold by the prophets previous. 
And that's where you come into the wise men. The wise men, you see, they were aware of the prophecies. They weren't ignorant of all these prophecies. They were aware of Micah's prophecy. They were aware of Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah to be born. He will give you a sign. He will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a manger, there with his mother. All these things, born of a virgin, all these signs, these prophecies that came, these wise men were aware of that. And here's the thing. These wise men were a part of a larger group of scholars, and they traveled a great distance with a whole lot of their, their camaraderie was with them. They traveled a long ways to get here, and they got here. And then the thing that captured their attention was a star. And I like how they named it. They named it His Star. They understood something about prophecy. They understood something about God. And when he was referencing the Messiah to be born, His Star. His Star. And, they, and the thing about his star was this was not just some natural thing like a shooting star or a comet spanning across the sky. No, you see, it was a supernatural intention by God's hand to put the star in place, to cause it to shine bright, and to put it in a, in a place where the wise men could see it and they could then follow it and, lead, and it lead them to where they needed to be, where the Christ child was. See, it was supernatural, and you have to understand that about this story. And so, we're looking at this story, and as I've done with the previous two messages in this series, I've broken down a word and made it an acronym. I did that with Mary's experience by opening our heart. did that with Joseph by making room, and now today we're going to do that with following his star. I taken star and made, took the liberty and made it an acronym of things that actually took place here that can shed light in our life today. So let's look at that. Following his star. We're going to look at S first. Following his star, it shows us that God uses the least to accomplish much. Everybody with me right now? I know it's a little warm in here. The heat's going. It's actually got all of them working today, so don't fall asleep on me, all right? Okay, following his star, first of all, S, shows us that God uses the least to accomplish much. In this story, Matthew quotes the prophet Micah. Micah prophesied about Bethlehem being the birthplace of the Messiah, and he said the first thing he said about it in his prophecy was, Bethlehem, you are not the least ruling cities of Judah said, from out of you will come the shepherd who will rule my people Israel. And what we got to understand about that is God specializes in taking the least and doing much with them. That's how he works. You know, in fact, Jesus, as he grew up and he began his earthly ministry around the age of 30, it was said of him, hey, isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter's boy? They only, they, a lot of people related to him in the natural side, the natural realm, and they only saw the external about him and just saw, hey, he comes from a line of carpenters. Isn't that all he is? Well, he was thought of as least until he began doing things like turning water into wine at a wedding. He was considered least until he started uh, healing the government's uh, official son from about 20 miles away, and he just spoke a word, and the, and the boy was healed on his deathbed. You see, Jesus was considered least until he started healing people who were lame for 38 years, who were, they were an invalid. Jesus 
was considered least until he started doing these amazing things like healing a man who was born blind later in his life. He was considered least until he started doing these amazing things like raising Lazarus from the dead who had been in the grave for four days. See, Jesus was considered least by a whole lot of people until he started demonstrating the greatness of his God in his life. Until God started showing himself strong through his son, Jesus. And you know, God wants to show himself strong in your life too. Sometimes we can get the understanding about life and, and about ourselves at different seasons and different times in our life. Some of us carry this our whole life, and that is we feel like we are not significant. No matter what we do or how hard we try, we still feel like we come up short. And we feel oftentimes that people don't respect us, people don't get us, people don't appreciate us. People really don't see the good in our life, don't see the strong points in our life. And here's what you got to remember is no matter what people think, you got to understand what God thinks about you. And God specializes in taking the least and doing much with them. He did that with the little boy when he was trying, when Jesus said, look, I'm going to feed all these people out here. And there were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And so uh, theology tells us it's probably average about 20,000 people. And his disciples brought him this one little boy's lunch. It was five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, that's enough. I'll take that and I'll feed everybody. And that's exactly what he did. He took it, prayed over it, blessed it, broke it, and began to distribute it through the hands of his disciples. And he, they had more than enough. In fact, by the time it was all said and done, the disciples, how many disciples were there that were closest to him? Twelve, right? They said they each got a basket full of leftovers. So that tells you that, that God specializes in doing much with very little. You know, and, I, and, and it's a sad thing about our life sometimes, about people, about humanity. Sometimes we often think more of ourselves than we should, and then we often think less of ourselves than we should. It's a delicate balance. It's a delicate, delicate system to have. But here's the thing that balances our belief and our viewpoint out, and that is God. When God is truly center in our life, he helps us to think not more of ourselves than we should and not less of ourselves than we should because we understand that without him, come on somebody, without God, we really are nothing and we really have nothing and we can really do nothing. And he is our all. He is our all in all and our great significant and our, our source. He is everything, right? And so God shows us that he can do much with very little. It might have been a disappointment in your life. It might have been a devastation in your life. It might have been something that happened that really turned your whole life upside down. But God can take that and he can turn it around and he can do great things with your very little. That's how he works. You can say that's how he rolls. I like what the Apostle Paul says. Look at this verse here, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 in the message version, I like how, he, how it's worded here. It says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. 
that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Amen? You know, you, nobody, ever, nobody likes hanging around people who, what, toot their own horn. He's saying, look, if you're really somebody in God's eyes, then you just make sure he gets the credit that he deserves, and he'll keep allowing you to do whatever it is he wants you to do. Isn't that how the world works, though? They overlook the least of people, but God comes in, and he says, no, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. I'll take the least, and I'll do much. You see, nothing of great significance was supposed to come from Bethlehem. But out of this prophecy, the greatest one who ever lived and still lives today, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the light of the world, was born right there in Bethlehem, of all places, in a manger. He didn't have the best doctor, didn't have the best room, didn't have a private little, you know, room all to himself with all the nurses and all the doctors and all the staff, and his mother didn't have all the attention and the care that she certainly deserved, but God somehow managed to preserve and cause good to come from that. And in the eyes of man, it looked like pathetic things, but in the eyes of God, there was the Messiah born to save the world. So never underestimate the, the beginning, the small beginnings of things. Never underestimate in your life the small beginnings of things because God has a way of taking that small and growing it and making it big. But you see, out of this prophecy, he said, also from Bethlehem will come the shepherd who will rule my people. You see, the, the word shepherd, it, it means this. It means one who has authority, one who protects, and one who cares for the flock. And I just want to focus for a minute on the word authority. What does that mean? It means he has the power to do something. And he said, out of Bethlehem, Micah prophesied, will come the shepherd, the one who has authority to do something. You see, God, through Jesus Christ, has the authority, the power to change our life. He has the authority to do something about our problems. He has the authority to do something about our sin. He has the authority to do something about our setbacks. He has the authority to do uh, something about our sicknesses. He has the authority to do something about our conditions. He has the authority to handle everything that we can always give him if we'll trust him and give it to him. He has the authority to do something about it. So whose name is above all names, having all authority, the name of Jesus Christ, at which that name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is truly Lord of all. So why in the world, when we get ourselves in a pickle and a predicament and a problem and a pain, do we go to everybody but Jesus? We should go to the one who has the power, the authority to do something about our issue. You see, oftentimes we take on the side, the viewpoint of the world, and that is we don't always go to Jesus first. We don't always do that, but he has the power, the authority to do something about our life. And he says, look, if you'll just trust me with it, 
I know what to do with it. I know what to take. I know that, that issue, that problem, that season of your world right now, it looks hopeless, it looks bad, it looks painful, it doesn't look like it can be turned around. But here, look at me. God wants you to know that he'll take that thing, that least thing, and he will do something good with it if you will let him have it and you will trust him with it. Amen? So following his star shows us that God does much with least. Let's look at T. Following his star, T, God, he takes us where we need to go. He takes us where we need to go. I know sometimes we often think we all, we know where we need to go. We know what needs to happen. But the Bible warns us in Proverbs that many are the man's plans, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. And many are the, what seems right in man's eyes is not the way God wants to take us. You see, we have to know that God knows where we need to go. And that's when we follow his star, follow his light, he takes us where we need to go, will guide us to the place where we need to be. I like uh, Psalm 119, 105. I think it's on your screen. Yeah, it says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You see, Jesus is the light of the world, and he gives guidance in a dark world, and it, John's gospel tells us that Jesus is the word made flesh. So, when the Bible speaks here, your word is a, is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to, to down my path. It is Jesus, the light of the world, the word of God that leads us and guides us and gets us in the place where we need to be because really, his word really has all the descriptive answers about our life. It has everything we need to know. It has the direction our life needs to go. It has his will that will be revealed. It has his purpose that can come upon the scene in our life. It has everything that he has for us if we will just take the time to keep the word of God in our face, before our eyes, and in our heart, then his light, his word, will take us where we need to go to be at the right place at the right time. You know that feeling when you're at the right place at the right time? Probably 99% of us have said that, man, I am in the right place at the right time. And you know what that feeling's like when you're at the right place at the right time. And there is such peace and contentment and joy in our life when we're at the right place at the right time. Time. In fact, that's what happened with the wise men. It said when they were at the right place at the right time, it said their lives were filled with joy. And you know, there's nothing greater, it's not a greater feeling, not a greater experience in our heart, in our souls, when we have true joy from the Lord, and our life is filled with the joy of God, and it comes from being in the right place at the right time, being where we need to be. And the way we find ourselves getting where we need to be at the right place at the right time is keeping our eyes on God's Word. Amen? Amen? A, let's look at the A, following his star. Everybody with me? I see some sleepy faces in church this morning. Don't make me come wake you up. <laughs> A, following his star, it allows us to find Jesus. It allows us to find Jesus. It was his star that guided them to Jesus. It wasn't by accident, and they didn't just stumble upon 
him. No, you see, these wise men saw his star, and they determined in their heart to be intentional. This star has captured our attention, and we want to see. We want to go worship him. We want to find him. We want to make sure that our life is where he is. We want to go pay him honor, respect, adoration, because we believe the prophecies that were spoken, that he has the power to change the world. And if he has the power to change the world, he has the power to change my life. And so following his star, it allows us to find Jesus. And here's what happened when they found him. They went in, they got to the place where he was. They went in and they saw Jesus. And when they saw Jesus with his mother, Mary, three things happened. They bowed down, they worshiped him, and then they gave him gifts. You know, it was an indication of their heart that they had found Jesus because it was, it was visible. It was, first of all, visible in their position. The indication that they found Jesus was, first of all, visible in their position. What'd they do? It said they bowed down to him. You know, an indication that you and I, a person that has truly found Jesus, we will live our life humbly submitted to him. You know, there's really only two positions that you and I can live, and that is one, bowed down, or we can live bucked up against him. We can raise our life up against him and not go in his way, not reverence him, not respect him, not, not put him in the proper place that he is as king and on the throne of our hearts, or we can bow down. And you see, an indication of a person who's found Jesus is they, their position is humble. They're not proud. They're not puffed up. They're not arrogant. I know from time to time we get our little you know, flesh involved, and we can get big-headed, and we can get puffed up, and we can start to think big of ourselves, and, you know, I did that, I made that happen, look at what I got going on for me, and all this stuff, and, and then, but pretty soon, God kind of, you know, gets our attention, and he's like, you know what, no, no, you didn't really get that because of you, you got that because of me, right, and so we have to kind of bring ourselves back to reality, and bring ourselves down, and bow ourselves before him, but that's a, that's a true indication of a person who has really found Jesus. They're not going to take credit for anything. Certainly not going to take credit for making salvation happen in their life, and they understood. They bowed down, so we can learn from, the, from these wise men that when they sought him, and they found him, their position was they were to bow down before him, Right? Then the second thing that we see, an indication that, we, that a person has found Jesus, it will be visible in their devotion. When they found him, they bowed down, but then they worshiped him. It's visible. A person who has found Jesus for real, it's visible in what they're devoted to. You know, an old adage is this, is that who we worship is an indication of who we will become. What we worship is an indication of what we will become like because you become like what you worship. Do you worship, do you really worship Jesus or do you worship things? Do you worship possessions? Do you worship this world? Do you worship whatever it might be? Our hearts, man, there's all kinds of things fighting for our attention, all kinds of things fighting for our affection. Do we worship a person? Do we worship our relationship with people? Do we worship money? Do Whatever it might be, a true person who has found Jesus will worship Jesus, and that is who we will become more like, right? So an indication, here you go. I know it's Christmas. It's supposed to be, you know, rosy and red, but here's an indication if our hearts have found Jesus, we're going to become more like Jesus, right? We're going to become more 
like Jesus. And then the third thing, it says this, an indication that a person has found Jesus is visible in their possessions. You see, they gave him all their gifts. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts. And you see, the thing is, they were not tied to their possessions. They want to be tied to the Savior. They want to be tied to Christ. And the thing is about us, about you and I as humans, we have possessions, we have achievements, we have all this stuff, but are we willing to let Jesus truly have everything? Are we really, truly willing to part ways with whatever he says, you know, you need to give this to me, you need to give that to me, you need to let me have that, you need to let me have that. Not because he's stingy and he's gritty, but because he knows those things will control our heart and those things will control our devotion. Those things will control our attention and how we then live our life. Why do you think our world is so jacked up? Because people are not willing to part with their possessions. That's why people steal. That's why people kill. It's one reason. You know, that's why people do all these things, cheat the system to get stuff. And really, the sad part is all that stuff is going to go away. It's going to rust. Nothing wrong with having anything, but the point being is that stuff can't have us. We're, we're called to have domain and authority over it, right? And so these, these wise men show us something. A person who finds Jesus, it's visible in how they handle what they have. Amen? Let's look at the last thing, R. Following his star, it revolutionizes our life. The ultimate game changer in this world is when Jesus Christ becomes king on the throne of a human's heart and in their life. You see, when these guys, their life was changed because of the encounter they had with Jesus, the Messiah. And when you and I encounter Jesus, the thing that's supposed to happen is we're supposed to be changed. And a true encounter and a true experience and a true relationship with Jesus, that's what happens. We get changed. We become transformed. We're no longer who we used to be. We become brand new. And then we have this whole process, this thing called life, this journey to what the Bible says to walk out and work out our salvation. So we have to be patient not only with ourselves, but one another. And we also have to be patient with God to let him work some stuff out. You see, here's what happened with these wise men. Said so they did all these things, they were there, and then it said it came time for them to leave, and they went back home a different route, and they returned home a different way. There's an indication, it tells us, a little preview in there that says this, they, when you encounter Jesus, your routes will be different meaning your paths, your patterns will change. There's some of us, we still have patterns from when we were five years old that aren't good for us. And Jesus is like, let me change you. Let me change you. There's patterns in our, in our marriages that aren't real godly and not real honoring to the Lord or even good for one another. And the Lord's like, you know what? There's time, there's some, there's some paths and some patterns that need to be changed. Because the, the more we change, for Christ, the more Christ becomes visible in our life and to people around us. So here's the question for us today. What paths or patterns in our life is God shining his light on saying this, I want 
to change? What patterns and paths in our life is God shining his light on in us today saying, look, don't end this year and don't enter into a new year refusing to change. Be open, be bendable, be flexible, be pliable to my hand and how I want to change your life. Because there's other people depending upon that. That's what happened with these wise men. They went home a different way. They returned home a different way, a different route than what they had taken to get there. And so it's, a, it's an indication their life was revolutionized. You know, Jesus changes us. Jesus revolutionizes us. And he says, when you allow me, my light to be bright in your life, and you allow me to change and make some changes, then your life will be different. Your life will be different. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I know about a few of you, but I won't tell on you, just like you won't tell on me. But I know there's some things in my life that God is shining his light on, and he's saying, let me change that. Let me change that in you. You know, and it, it, whatever it might be, do we have the courage? Do we have the faith? Do we have the devotion to Jesus enough, the trust enough to truly let him change us? Because it's always for our good, and it's always for his glory. Amen? I like this, this little... Uh, quote here. Look at it here with me on the screen. Came across this the other day. I've come across it every about the last several years at Christmas time, and I thought this is a good year to use it. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, then God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, then God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. Our problems are not that we need more information. Our problem is not that we, we need more technology. Our problem is not that we need more of anything except we need more of Jesus in our own life. And the way he gets into this world is through his church, you and me, you and us, and the other people that call on the name of the Lord like you and I do as well. And the thing that our world needs most desperately in this hour and this day is more of the light of Jesus Christ. Your heart, my heart, is prone to wander. Your heart and my heart, we have chambers in our life that are a little dark. And the thing about it, the greatest thing that could ever happen is allowing Jesus to be greater inside of each and every one of us. Because what we need is a Savior. And that's why this table, we're going to come to the communion table here in a moment. That's one of the great significant reminders about this table. 
are the elements that are involved, the bread and the juice, the cup of the new covenant, the bread that was broken, the body of Christ, the body of Jesus broken so that our lives could be made whole. The cup of the new covenant, the juice signifying the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, it reminds us, causes us to remember, to remember Him, to remember why He came, to remember what He did, and to not forget how, he's, how He came to change our life, to change our world, and to be the light in us. This past week, Haley and I had a chance. We went and had, did communion with um, Max and Stephanie's aunt, Pastor Lindsay's great aunt, Aunt Mildred. She's in a nursing assistant home, can't get out. She's shut in. And we went and visited with her a little bit, and um, she said, be sure to tell the church I'm doing okay. I said, I sure will. I'll let them know. And I always, I told Lindsay, I said, I always learn a little something when I'm around her. And the thing I learned this time was, she, before we left, she said, you know, God is good. Surely some of his goodness can rub off on us. <laughs> can anybody stand to have a little more goodness of God rub off on you? Who's, who can admit that today? Come on. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for good. Wait, wrong one. That's wrong, wrong one. But he still knows, right? If you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness' sakes. I can all stand to have a little more of the goodness of God rub off on us. And there's no, really, no truer way for His goodness to rub off on us than to be in His presence. And that's what this table allows us to do. It allows us to be reminded that Jesus, He is here. He is here. So I want to encourage you today before you come to the table, whatever you got going on, whatever is upon you, whatever weight, whatever burden, whatever thoughts what man some of you might be dreading being with family this Christmas I don't know if you're like the Vargis you got 35 people from your family gonna be in your house for like seven days yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of people if there's anybody ever equipped to handle it it's Thomas and Tina I'll tell you that they are the hostess with the mostest Whatever it is, maybe you, you might be like, I didn't really get to finish getting Christmas for so-and-so or my kids or my parents. You'll be surprised the way God can surprise you with goodness if you'll just draw close to Him. Now, I know we don't draw close to Him to get anything. But he just is so good that he knows when we draw close to him and he gets our heart.
some of his goodness is bound to rub off on us. Let's stand to our feet.